0: Smile, it's a new galactic self-portrait, this week on Planetary Radio. Hi everyone, welcome to Public Radio's travel show that takes you to the final frontier. I'm Matt Kaplan. So you think you know what the Milky Way looks like? Maybe not. Astronomers Bob Benjamin and Thomas Dame will share new revelations about the shape and structure of the galaxy we call home. We are also just moments away from a Phoenix mission update. Emily Lakdawalla will help us celebrate confirmation that the white stuff exposed by Phoenix really is water ice. Later, we'll join Bruce Betts for another What's Up? look at the night sky. And Bill Nye the Science Guy is back with his own enthusiastic take on Martian water. And if that's not enough, we've got more space news at Planetary.org, including a story about three super-Earths found circling a star 42 light-years away. Water on Mars. You can go all the way back to the first sightings of the polar ice caps for evidence. But we've never actually dug in and found any. Not till now, anyway. Emily, they did it.
1: Yes, they did. They found the ice that they were looking for. And with
0: remarkable ease.
1: Yeah, well, you know, they they found that bright, white, smooth material just by landing on it because the thrusters blew soil away. But it took them actually a few weeks to be able to confirm that, yes, it's ice. But they finally got the evidence they needed this week. That evidence was that they'd been digging around in this site called Dodo Goldilocks. And while digging, they'd pulled out some of these chunks of white material from the ground. And there were a few candidates for what that white material could have been. And the two chief Candidates were either ice or some kind of salt deposit that had been left behind as groundwater evaporated. Well, those chunks disappeared after four days of being exposed to the Martian air, and salt just doesn't do that, so it must have been ice.
0: And we know that that it's water ice, not CO2 or dry ice, because it would have disappeared but a lot faster.
1: That's right. Um, Carbon dioxide ice is really very unstable at the temperatures, the relatively warm temperatures of the Phoenix landing site during the summer. During the winter, the carbon dioxide ice would actually sit around on the surface for a long time. But the uh, imaging team likened it to regular water ice on Earth and its behavior at 140 degrees Fahrenheit, which, you know, wouldn't last very long. So the carbon dioxide ice would have gone away very quickly. If
0: people go to uh, planetary.org, either uh, taking a look at your blog or the very nice feature done by our uh, colleague uh, Sally Rail, AJS Rail, they're going to see this little sequence that shows you the ice disappearing, sublimating, and really that's what it took. It wasn't any fancier analysis from the, the TIGA experiment or anything like that?
1: Nope. It's really as simple as that. There you see it. There you don't. It's uh, Sol 20 and Sol 24. Ice chunks were there on Sol 20. They were gone on Sol 24. It's that mm. simple. All
0: right. So where are we now? I The latest that I have seen is that uh, things are going pretty well. This data problem, uh, I guess they are beginning to get a handle on it, but you get something as simple as a couple of doors, spring-loaded <laughs> doors to an oven.
1: That's right. The TIGA team is not getting any love from fate. They've had just one little problem after another with their instrument. To be fair to them, their instrument is one of the most complex I've ever heard of being sent on a space mission. So it's no surprise that they're running into some problems, but gosh, it would be nice for them to get some luck now. Right right now, the problem is that they're tried to open a second set of doors on their instrument, and those doors, they barely popped open. There's just a little slit open over their oven, and I haven't heard anything from the team about whether they think they're going to be able able to get a sample in through those doors or not, but they don't have any options for trying to get the doors open any further. They're just spring-loaded. It's like a jack-in-the-box. You release the hmm. latch, and the door should pop right open, and there's nothing more you can do.
0: Well, still plenty of reason to congratulate the entire Phoenix team. Many more details at planetary.org, where you can uh, continue to follow Emily's following of this mission in uh, the blog, right there at the homepage. Emily, thanks again very much.
1: You're quite welcome.
0: Emily Lockewalla is the science and technology coordinator for the Planetary Society. She's usually heard here doing our Q&A segment, but uh, is uh, giving us these regular updates on the Phoenix mission as well. No one is more excited than Bill Nye about water on Mars. He recorded this commentary just before the new photographic proof arrived. I'll be back in a minute with galactic astronomers Bob Benjamin and Thomas Dame.
2: Hey, hey, Bill Nye, the Planetary Guy here, Vice President of the Planetary Society. What are we looking at this week? Well, take a look on Mars. The Phoenix Lander has scraped away the surface just a few centimeters, the the width of your thumb deep, and there's this white material. White, stark white, like maybe it's chalk. Maybe it's water ice. Now, if you were a geologist and this were on Earth, it would take you a moment to figure it out. you just... Feel it with your fingers. Oh, it's cold. It melted. I've seen many geologists just touch it to their tongue. Uh, 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 And then you'd know just right away. But no, we are hundreds of millions of kilometers away. And figuring out this fundamental stuff is not so easy. It is rocket science. But we have the people to do it. If we find water, my friends, it will mean there are hectares and hectares, acres and acres of water on Mars. And maybe once there were living things there. If we discover them or evidence of them, it will, dare I say it, change the world from hundreds of millions of kilometers away. Space exploration is as exciting as it gets right now, my friends. Stay tuned to planetary.org. I'll talk to you next week on Planetary Radio. I gotta fly Bill Nye the Planetary Guy.
0: Bob Benjamin is at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. He is part of a team that announced a discovery of galactic proportions at the 212th meeting of the American Astronomical Society. Bob's colleague, Thomas Dame, is a radio astronomer with the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory and Harvard University. Dame's team found the first strong evidence for what is essentially an arm of stars on the other side of the Milky Way. Taken together, their work has given us a new and probably much more accurate rendering of the swirling expanse of gas, dust, and hundreds of billions of stars that comprise our home galaxy. Thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, here on Planetary Radio, and I feel especially fortunate that we're able to get the two of you together because it was basically your work uh, being unveiled to the public on June 3rd, which has uh, changed our view of the Milky Way galaxy, although... You tell me, perhaps not in quite as radical a fashion as I first thought, Bob, why don 't you get us started? Talk about how it is that we came to for so many years, decades upon decades, had this image of the Milky Way that turns out to have not been quite right.
3: The study of the galaxy is sort of a, a sort of an evolutionary process it 's a long term effort by astronomers over decades that has yielded the picture that we refined and discussed uh, at this June 3rd meeting. The study of spiral structure dates back to 1951 when uh, an astronomer from Yerkes Observatory first announced the, the detection of uh, three spiral arms in the Milky Way. From that point on, astronomers pieced together a picture, mostly uh, from Looking at the results of radio telescopes surveying the molecular and neutral uh, interstellar gas to form a picture of a, of, a, of a spiral galaxy, in which outside the central region of the galaxy we had four major arms that also seemed to be traced by regions of star formation. What prompted the meeting that just a few weeks ago? was the unveiling of a new survey of uh, mid-infrared data taken from the Spitzer Space Telescope that was a survey of the galactic plane where we looked we got basically a completely clear view at these wavelengths of all the star formation and all the stars in the galactic disk. And so we decided with this sort of new you know observational view of the Milky Way that it was a good time to get people together to talk about, sort of the overall structure, what, what all of these things that we were seeing w- uh, would look like from above.
0: Bob, I, I discovered this in a uh, press release from NASA and got a hold of you and wanted to get you on the show, but you said, we got to get Tom Dame on as well, because while you have sort of, your work has demoted a couple of these arms, if that's fair, Tom, you actually showed us that there is this second arm out there, which is uh, a pretty impressive.
4: That's right. It's uh, it's quite near the galactic center, near the bar, which uh, Bob and uh, his group has, sh- has shown very convincingly exists now in the-, the galactic center. An interesting point is that, uh, as Bob pointed out, the, uh, the the spiral arms were first discovered uh, optically, uh, and reported in-, in that 1951 meeting. But uh, from then on, starting in the 50s the optical astronomers couldn't go much further because of the dust right in the plane of the Milky Way. And so the radio astronomers sort of took over for decades. One of the most significant things about this meeting and Bob's announcement is that now, now at last we're going back, and because he's gone to the, to the near-infrared part of the spectrum where the dust is much less important, we can again finally study the stars throughout the galaxy that's where his uh, he's coming from. Uh, my uh, arm was discovered in, in the radio waves. Uh, in fact, in the 1950s, the very first radio surveys that was our real first look at the entire galaxy, was in, in these radio surveys, mainly of the emission from atomic hydrogen. And of course most of the universe is hydrogen, so it's, uh, it emits very copiously in the radio regime and, uh, and pretty much fills the galaxy. So we got our first look at the entire galaxy with these radio studies. And when we did, uh, one of the things we learned was that the, the galaxy was quite an orderly place, that most of the stars and the gas orbit the galaxy in, in circular orbits. So it was a very nice, it was sort of easy to understand uh, what was happening and you could sort of relate distances to velocities that you measured. But there was this one arm which stood out very clearly as being unusual. And that was called the expanding three kiloparsec arm. It was, it was close to the center. Very striking in the in the early surveys, found right away in 1957. It, it was very puzzling because it didn't, it didn't follow the usual rules of, of circular orbit. It was expanding towards us at 50 kilometers per second. Almost all of your listeners could guess the, the first theory that, that emerged to explain that, and that was an explosion at, at the galactic center. But there were problems with that because it was, it was a lot of gas moving really fast, and there was a question of where, where that much energy could come from it was sort of ad hoc there was no other evidence for an explosion but soon after that in like 64 there was another suggestion that maybe the maybe the galaxy was not just a regular spiral but was a so-called barred spiral and one of the strongest evidence uh, put forward for that was the fact that there was this three kiloparsec expanding arm which had these very large mm-hmm. motions away from the center and that's what you would expect from a bar but of course that suggestion raised the issue of where was the other Side of the bar because you know the bar has two ends and would tend to drive very symmetric twofold structure and so what we found at last after 51 years is that twofold symmetry we found the other the arm which emerges from the other side of this of this bar the most significant result of that I think is just just that we can at last see unambiguously and basically raw data this symmetry that people have long Hoped and suspected the galaxy had. But now we see, we know for sure that there are these two beautiful symmetric arms in close, basically trailing off the end of the bar. At least, most likely, that's the, that's the situation. So these
0: two uh, rather prominent arms, yeah. but Bob, your research, as you've looked at the distribution of stars uh, across the galaxy, has told us that the other two arms that were found in 1951, I guess. Um, are a little more wispy than we thought.
3: Well, yeah. Basically, the arms that Tom is describing sort of sort of uh, surround the bar. They trace sort of we we think along the the front side and the back side of the bar as we look through the galaxy, but sort of out much further, out extending out to much further out in radius from beyond the ends of the bar were these these other four structures. So actually, we're, we're up to six arms now, two surrounding the bar and then <laughs> four beyond the bar. Of those four whose directions were traced out by radio astronomy, as, as Tom was saying, uh, we looked in the directions of our called tangency directions. So where your line of sight, you're looking out in a certain direction, and your line of sight goes for a fairly long length along the arm. And so we knew which directions to expect those tangencies, and when we looked at the number of stars uh, that we saw using these mid-infrared wavelengths where we didn't have to worry about dust, we saw that in one direction, sure enough, there was this huge enhancement of stars. And it turns out it's about a, an increase in the density of, of the old stars, red giant stars, by about a factor of 30%, which is pretty significant. And uh, so we said, oh, well, that's exactly what we expect. People have said that that's a spiral arm tangency, and there is an enhancement of stars right in that direction. Uh, But then when we looked for a different tangency, which seemed to be just as well settled by radio astronomers as the the previous one, we saw nothing. We saw no evidence for any enhancement in the number of the old red giants. And it turns out that we were not the first people to see this. Earlier sort of generations of infrared telescopes where they couldn't count the individual stars, but they could get a sense of just how how bright it was. Uh, they had seen this before, an uh, experiment put, done with uh, what was called the COBE uh, satellite, the Derby instrument, saw the same effect, that in certain directions where they expected tangencies, they saw a lot of emission, and other directions they didn't. What we presented at the AAS meeting was this result, and how to interpret this result, which was the idea that perhaps there's something fundamentally different about these these arms that two of them we suspect are associated not just with an overdensity in the old stars but an uh, overdensity in gas and star formation and then the other two are just compressions in the gas so that the expectation would be if you were to look at the milky way from the outside that of these four arms outside the bar two of them would be stronger and two would be weaker
0: more about the milky way from bob benjamin and tom dame in a minute this is planetary radio
5: I'm Sally Ride. After becoming the first American woman in space, I dedicated myself to supporting space exploration and the education and inspiration of our youth. That's why I formed Sally Ride Science, and that's why I support the Planetary Society. The Society works with space agencies around the world and gets people directly involved with real space missions.
0: Welcome back to Planetary Radio. I'm Matt Kaplan. My guests are Bob Benjamin of the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and Tom Dame of the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory and Harvard. Their just-announced findings have reshaped our image of the Milky Way galaxy. What strikes me as as I listen to the two of you is how very much your work complements each other, though you have taken very different approaches and uh, use very different instruments.
4: That's exactly right, and, and, and not, not just the, uh, the 3 kiloparsec expanding arm work, but, of course, as a radio astronomer, uh, we are complementing the work of Bob. In fact, to support what Bob said about this uh, tangent direction, which showed no enhancement in the, in the old stars, that arm, which is called the Sagittarius Carina arm, is to radio astronomers the most well-defined, prominent, grand design spiral arm in the galaxy. Hmm. You know, if you ask a radio astronomer, what's what's your best example of a, of, a, of a grand design, beautiful logarithmic spiral arm that goes almost all the way around the galaxy, Sag Carina was it. And Bob's telling us that, you know, maybe it's one of these secondary gas arms. So it's, it's quite an interesting uh, result.
0: There are still many, many books out there. When they show you a picture of the Milky Way galaxy, they basically show you something that looks like Andromeda. With these revelations, is there another galaxy of all the millions out there that you would point to and say, yes, that one with that bar and those two very prominent arms, that's probably what we look like?
3: Well, that's actually one of the uh, the goals of galactic astronomy to get a, a, more, a, a sharper picture of what the Milky Way would look like from outside so that we can study Milky Way-like galaxies both from the inside and from the outside. You know, one of the the uh, The fun things about having been involved in this project is we provi- wanted to provide a graphic that tried to capture what the current thinking, and of course it'll evolve over time and maybe may change dramatically again, um, but the current thinking on the the structure of the Milky Way so it sort of serves as a police sketch. Um, you know, <laughs> we, have, we have all of these different witnesses that describe different things. The artist's conception was sort of a, a an attempt to blend all of these features together. And then, you know, we can chop it around to uh, people who study galaxies from the out saying, say, outside saying, you know, have you seen this galaxy? And uh, I actually have gotten some suggestions from people who study other galaxies, saying, "Hey, check out this one. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe this one's similar to the Milky Way."
0: Tom, is yeah. there is there or either of you actually uh, can you share the, the names? I mean,
4: well, you know, we, Bob and I and, and others at the meeting worked a lot on this, and especially Jay Gallagher, who's an, who's an expert on external barred spirals, and, and that was one of our goals was to find the best possible uh, Milky Way analog, and I don't think we did settle on one. One of the ones that I like, from my knowledge of the galaxy, that when I saw it, I said, "That looks like our galaxy." Was was M- M109, Messier 109. But uh, you know, other people have other, other favorites. But Messier 109 has quite beautiful, basically two large, large arms, as described by Bob, and then and then some intermediate arms, which potentially are gas arms, and it shows a beautiful bar, and possibly even this this uh, sort of Long bar, short bar, which we haven't actually talked about, but was another sort of finding of the uh, the Spitzer survey.
0: We will of course post links to uh, places online where people can learn more about your work and CM109 and perhaps that artist rendering, Bob, that you talked about. We're essentially out of time, but I I got to ask you uh, where your research is headed now, or do we know everything we want to know about the Milky Way? Somehow, I think the answer is no, Bob.
3: Oh well, I think there's a there's a whole different sets of directions we can go. I, I intend to continue uh, working on the stellar structure of the Milky Way, the tracing out the arms, tracing out the bar, um, tracing out structures using the old red giants in the Milky Way, and seeing if we can really pin down the, the hard numbers for the, the mass, of the mass per unit area of the Milky Way's disk, so that people can use that as a starting point for figuring out how gas flows in that in the gravitational potential provided by that mass Mm. it basically to provide the initial conditions for uh... people who want to model spiral density waves in the galaxy
0: tom very quickly where do you go from here
4: uh... well we we have a lot of uh... work to do right away on the on this uh... firearm which we finally uh... identified Uh, an an interesting thing about this arm is that it's actually not not weak Uh, it's not you know most discoveries are uh, discovered just above the noise level but In fact, this one was just hiding in a lot of stronger features in the galactic center, the center region is very complicated. But it's actually um, quite a strong feature, and so we're going to go after it uh, with various other telescopes, the Green Bank Telescope, to look at it more sensitively in in the atomic gas. We're going to look for star formation in these arms. Uh, We're going to try to follow them further out and see if they actually do connect to both ends of the bar. So we have a lot of work to do on this, um, uh, and other people are joining the effort almost daily.
0: Gentlemen, thanks so much for the uh, galactic
4: self-portrait. Sure. Thank you for having us on.
0: Bob Benjamin is a professor of physics at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and has done this work using the Spitzer Space Telescope and its amazing capabilities in the infrared. Thomas Dame is a radio astronomer with the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory and a lecturer on astronomy at Harvard University. time for what's up with dr bruce betts the director of projects here at the plant. it is really hot it's really
5: hot (laughs) it's even hot back here we should stop complaining i suppose but yeah it's really hot by most any standard these days well he's the director of projects for the planetary society
0: nevertheless in very hot pasadena california
5: cool me off with talk of the night sky oh it's gonna be so cool (laughs) it's dark and soothing Cool and relaxing.
4: Ooh, ooh. Ooh. It's like,
5: like, <laughs> like ice just a few inches under the surface. That's Exactly. <laughs> So go out, hey, they found ice. Isn't that cool? In Phoenix. Isn't that cool? That is cool. It really is water ice. That is so great. And, you know, our own Emily Lakdawalla had uh, had found the images and, and already had them in a little movie the the day before the release. And so uh, apparently they agreed when they did the calibrated images, the nice version, and ice sublimating in the trenches of... Mm-hmm. Uh, the trenches of phoenix she's good she's just she's just darn good spiffy keen gets mm-hmm. on those raw images right away mm-hmm. so yeah well let's uh, we should come back and talk more about ice because it's really a big deal i'm just going to talk about it now for phoenix because everyone expected the ice there but it was kind of one of their big goals was to study water ice so it would have been kind of a bummer if it weren't. So the fact that they found it within a, a few centimeters of the surface and, and are no already time. getting to it in no in time. In no time at all. It's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. And did you notice the picture of our DVD carrying a well, quarter with million a, names and visions of ice Mars? on it now or is it just dirt stick? Dirt. They dropped dirt <laughs> clods on it. Yeah, our
0: dirty DVD. Our dirty. On Mars, as one of our listeners said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leave it to the society. Well, we got some
5: nice, they're nice <laughs> color pictures out there now of the, uh, the dirt. Hey, we got you're going to run out of time to tell us about the night sky here. Nah, there's nothing really interesting. It's
0: just the usual, huh?
5: Yeah. Well, no, but let's tell you what the usual is. We've got in the early evening, we have uh, Mars and Saturn over in the west growing closer together until their July 10th conjunction. they get quite close. So right now, you've got Saturn uh, on one side of Leo's bright star, Regulus, and you've got Mars on the lower side, lower right Coming up, uh, Mars kind of reddish, Saturn kind of yellowish. It's good time. Jupiter coming up in the mid-evening now in the east, brightest star-like object out there, is high overhead in the pre-dawn. If, if it's the brightest star-like object and it's not moving rapidly, that's Jupiter. On to this week in space history. Hey, it's uh, 150 years ago, as I'm sure you've been waiting for, the anniversary of the birth of George Ellery Hale, <laughs> famous astronomer. Uh-huh. Guy who they named a 200-inch telescope after uh-huh. your all, telescope. All yeah. impressive! Yes, my te- my own personal telescope. And uh, and then uh, sad note: 1971 it was this week when the Soyuz 11 crew died during reentry. I remember that well. Yes. On to random space fact. Touching, isn't it? It is. I'll give you a quick one, and it's undoubtedly repetitive. But we're talking about water ice on Mars, and it's. Good for people to remember. Water ice on Mars acts like carbon dioxide ice on Earth, like dry ice. Mm-hmm. It goes straight from a solid to a gas. We say that it sublimates. sublimates. And indeed, uh, it was uh, seen to be sublimating in those pictures from Phoenix. So uh, so there's a quick random space fact. On to trivia question. We asked you, speaking of Phoenix, what's the height of the rocket that launched Phoenix? How would we do? Uh, Kevin Hecht, he didn't win, but he wanted to know, <laughs> before
0: or after
5: fueling, <laughs> to within the error accuracy I'm looking for, doesn't matter. And we have guys who uh, listeners who really
0: care about accuracy, because he was concerned that. the cryogenic uh, fuel and oxidizer right. would shrink the rocket a little bit. Mark Smith went nuts because he couldn't find a schematic, so he gave three different versions, with fairing, sans fairing. But I'll tell you, Maurice Sluka, who was one of the first listeners, I think, to this show, hasn't won in a couple of years. Well, Maurice, you got it. He said that Delta II rocket that uh, Phoenix sat on top of was 39.6 meters, or pretty much 130 feet tall. Uh, Maurice, up there in Prince George, British Columbia, our second Canuck in a row, uh,
5: Mm -hmm. we're going to send you a Planetary Radio t-shirt. Congratulations. On to our next trivia contest question. I would like you to tell us the only astronaut or cosmonaut whose last name started with you. Of of the more than 400 people who have flown in space, only one has a name that at least, uh, you know, if if it's an astronaut, then clearly it starts with you. If it's cosmonaut, transliteration, but should be pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. So uh, go to planetary.org slash radio and uh, get us that random trivia question answer.
0: Got till the 30th, June 30th, Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific time, of course, on the 30th. And you know what? I just remembered that we said no more T-shirts for a while. What else can we give people? (laughs) Should we just do a T-shirt and leave the alternative for next week?
5: Let's do a T-shirt and leave the alternative for next week. We do have a lot of other cool stuff, but we... uh... We, we failed our listeners by not digging into the inventory. You know,
0: I think that because last week we said that, I think a whole lot of people said, oh, my goodness, I've got to get in there because we had
5: a sudden rush of people to uh, get in on the contest. All right. so and definitely we'll do another Planetary Radio T-shirt okay. for this contest. All right, there you go. All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky, and think about flossing. <laughs> Boy, that's unpleasant. Thank you and good night.
0: You're just wishing you had been for the last six months, aren't you? Yes. Guess where Bruce is going uh, right after this. Uh, It's uh, that chair you sit in and they stick things in your mouth and give you bad news. Well, we'll check in with him again next week to see if his mouth is uh, still in working order. I suspect it will be because he's the director of projects for the Planetary (laughs) Society, and he joins us every week here for What's Up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California. Have a great week.